0: So now before we turn our attention to Scripture, let's take a minute and pray together that God would open our hearts. Holy Spirit, our hearts would remain closed and hard to you unless you come and open them. So right now we invite you in. We ask you to do that. Show us. Show us how much we need everything that God the Father offers us here through the Scripture. Show us how much we need Jesus to be our Savior and Redeemer. Give us ears to listen and hearts to embrace all that you teach us today, we pray in the name of Jesus himself. Amen. So we're in the middle of a, a sermon series where we're learning how to speak good news about Jesus Fancy word for that process is evangelism. We're learning about evangelism, learning how to speak the good news, the, the gospel, in Latin, the evangelium, to other people, to our neighbors, to our friends, our family, our coworkers, our classmates. We're part of a people who have been doing this for 2,000 years. So we're looking at the book of Acts that reminds us that uh, the first generations of Christians We're spreading all over the world, taking with them good news about Jesus. And we're at a point in the book of Acts, chapter 16, where Paul and Silas are traveling on a missionary tour. We'll see a map that shows us the part of the world that they were in. Today, we would call it Turkey. And uh, then they cross over uh, the sea and enter into what's modern-day Greece. And last week, we read a story about Uh, how they encountered a woman named Lydia in the city of Philippi. Well, today we'll continue the story of what's happening in Philippi. It may seem a bit staged when you first hear this story because here are two missionaries, Christians at midnight inside a jail cell, and uh, it seems like they're not suffering at all. They're just kind of happy guys who are praying and singing worship songs there in the prison, and an earthquake happens, so they're able to go free. Uh, The jailer shows up. He's quaking with fear because all those under his responsibility have opportunity to escape now, and he tease up these missionaries with just a perfect question, doesn't he? He says, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And uh, then they give him an answer, kind of a one-sentence presentation of good news about Jesus. And it all seems a little fake until you remember how real it is. These men were preaching about Jesus, and they were accused by people in Philippi of doing things that weren't Roman enough. Well, Paul and Silas were Jewish, so surprise, they're, they're acting and behaving and talking like people who believe the Scriptures of the Old Testament, and they're, they're talking about Jesus, so they're arrested, and a very real sentence is imposed. They are beaten with heavy wooden rods, and then without any treatment for their wounds, without any food, they are thrown into maximum security. You'll hear it described as the innermost cell of this prison. It's nighttime, so all the prisoners have been moved together into this one cell for security overnight. And it's in that kind of circumstance of suffering that Jesus shows up and shows how willing he is to rescue someone who needs to be saved. Let's listen as Carrie reads for us the Scriptures for the day.
1: Today's Scripture reading is from Acts sixteen. Verses 28 through 34. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in. And trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him. And to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced, along with his entire household, that he had believed in God. This is the word of the Lord.
0: Thanks be to God. I wonder if you can remember with me the first time that you held a hammer in your hands. Not a toy hammer made of plastic, a real hammer. Now, maybe it was given to you as a gift. Maybe someone wanted you to go experiment with it to learn how to use it. Or maybe you just found the family tool shed and grabbed it. But oftentimes, when you first hold a hammer in your hand, you begin to say to everything around you, You must be a nail. And so you find everything and bam, I've got a hammer in my hand and hammers are made for hitting nails and I want to hit stuff so everything I see must be a nail. Well, the human heart has a wide range of needs. People are different. But sometimes when it comes to thinking about good news about Jesus and how we might speak to other people about that good news – we, we think of it as kind of that hammer-in-hand approach. One size fits all. If I've got something I want to say about Jesus, bam, you must be a nail. So someone might come to us and say something like, I'm starting to wonder if anybody's ever going to really love me. Bam! I want to say this thing to you that I know about Jesus without even trying to understand why you're asking that question. Or another person might come to us and say, you know, I'm I'm really confused as to how somebody could take Christianity seriously given everything we know about science. Bam! Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your whole household. Well, that was exactly the right thing for Paul to say to this jailer in Philippi. But is it the right thing to say to that person with their question? Well, we kind of quickly figure out that that approach to sharing good news about Jesus with other people It isn't very healthy. So the alternative is, well, let's just give up. Because we've learned, you know, there aren't just nails in the world. There are things called screws, and there are bolts, and there are pins. And I don't have all those tools in my toolbox, so I'm just going to keep my toolbox shut. Speaking good news about Jesus to other people is not a one-size-fits-all proposition, but it requires so many tools, I'm just going to forget it, give up on it. A better approach is to start with good news about Jesus. Jesus rescues real people. That's, that's the main thought. Jesus rescues real people. And because real people aren't all the same, he rescues people who are, who are experiencing a whole range of real life circumstances. He rescues people whose hearts aren't all asking exactly the same question in exactly the same way. Jesus rescues real people. And that gives us confidence to know that that he calls us to speak good news to real people. That means that we learn to speak good news to people, loving them enough to, to hear what their circumstances are so that when we speak good news to them, We're actually speaking the language of their heart. We're not assuming that they're a nail and we've got the hammer. We're taking time to love real people by hearing what's really happening in their world and what's really going on in their heart. Today I want us to look briefly at four examples from the book of Acts. One of them is the scripture passage we read from Acts 16 about this jailer in Philippi. Four different kinds of people that we learn to love, real people that Jesus wants to rescue, real people we get to speak good news to as we listen to know their circumstances and speak to the questions of their hearts. The first category will be despairing people. Despairing people are people who would say, I'm doomed. How can anything good come into my life? Everybody has moments when we feel this way. We, we may feel that way even after we come to faith in Jesus. So as believers in Jesus, we can understand this kind of question, that when someone is just in such a hard set of circumstances that they think they are under this cloud and, and no sunshine will ever penetrate it again, that's the circumstance that this jailer was in, in Philippi. So let's, let's understand a bit about why he would have been feeling such despair. First, he's a man who lives within Roman culture, and he has a responsibility to oversee all the prisoners who are kept in this jail. And he knows that if he fails in that responsibility, he's going to be under such a cloud of disgrace that uh, he may be put to death by his superiors. And so it makes perfect sense in that scenario why he shows up. And his first thought is, I'm at the prison and all the doors are open. that means all the prisoners have escaped. And the text says that he he feels this urge to take his own life. And so... uh, then, then he feels an, another sense of, of fear as he starts to realize, wait, something, something bigger than I can understand is going on because this earthquake has happened and, and all these prisoners have a chance to escape, but none of them have. And it seems like these two, Paul and Silas, have been delivered supernaturally by their God, and I have mistreated them. So now it's not just the Roman authorities who might be angry with me, but it's this God I know nothing about who may be angry with me. And that's why he asks the question he does, which makes perfect sense in the context of Roman religion. He asks the question, What must I do to be saved? The word save means rescue in the New Testament. I am under a double death sentence. If anybody has escaped, I might be put to death by the Roman authorities. I might be under a death sentence from this God I know nothing about because I mistreated his servants, Paul and Silas. Is there any sacrifice I can make so that I can be rescued from death? That's the question this man is asking. It's a position of despair. I have no hope. I don't know what to do. Is there anything I can do? And so Paul's answer is, first of all, to comfort him and say, look, nobody's escaped. You're not going to be killed. You don't have to take your own life. We're all here. No one has left the prison. He starts right there with words of comfort. And then he talks about the goodness of Jesus. You don't have to go do anything. You don't have to go make any sacrifice so that God will not be angry with you. Jesus has already done that, and all you have to do is trust in him. There's a little play on words going on in this Scripture passage as The the, the jailer says to Paul and Silas, sirs, what must I do to be saved? The word for sirs is the same as the word for Lord. So, my lords, what must I do to be saved? And Paul says, we aren't the lords. Trust in the Lord, and you will be rescued from this sentence of death, from this fear of death. Of anger turned against you, sometimes sometimes the people that we interact with in this world are in a place of great despair. What does it mean to speak good news to despairing people? Well, first of all, we start with this truth. Jesus wants to rescue despairing people, and when we have an opportunity to speak to others who are in that circumstance. We might start with comfort. What can we do to bring them comfort? Understand why they're feeling such despair. How can we show sympathy for? Can you imagine what it would have been like if if Paul had made fun of this jailer? If he had said, hey Silas, this bozo over here thinks that there's something he should go do so God won't be angry with him. What a pagan he is. That's not where... Those who trust Jesus start in conversation with hurting people. Paul understands why this man is in such despair. So he begins with speaking comfort. And then he affirms Jesus' goodness and love. If you know someone who's in despair, you have an opportunity to speak good news to them about Jesus. Jesus is ready to meet you right here where you are no matter what is what has brought you to this place of despair there are also eager people not just despairing people some of the people that we know are eager to to come to trust Jesus as their redeemer and so an eager person doesn't start by saying i'm doomed how can anything good come into my life an eager person is just saying I am ready to embrace this. Help me understand what I'm so eager to embrace. If we wanted to see an example of that, we would look at Acts chapter 8. Here, a man named Philip, a Christian, is uh, directed by the Holy Spirit to approach uh, another man who comes from Ethiopia, a court official. And, And that court official from Ethiopia has been in Jerusalem celebrating the Passover. He's a religious man. He doesn't need to be persuaded that God is real. He already believes that. He doesn't need to be persuaded that the Scriptures reveal God to us. He's, in fact, reading the Scriptures as he's on the road trip. Now, he's, he's not in a minivan uh, playing, in, playing this, you know, from uh, off Spotify. He, he is... Um, He's in a chariot, and he's reading the Scriptures out loud while he's riding down the road. You've got to do something to pass the time as you ride from Jerusalem to Ethiopia. And so we read that Philip runs up to him, and and he hears him reading the book of Isaiah, the prophet. And he asks him, he asks the Ethiopian man, do you understand what you're reading? And the guy's response is, how can I unless somebody helps me? And then we read, later, the eunuch says to Philip, about whom is the prophet speaking, about himself or someone else? So the guy is reading the book of Isaiah. He's reading chapter 53, and he wants to know, is Isaiah saying that he is the Redeemer, or is Isaiah saying that the Messiah is coming into the world? That's somebody who's very eager to understand what Scripture teaches about Jesus. That's a very different kind of circumstance from someone who's in despair. So Philip does what you'd expect. He he answers the man's question about Scripture. And he uh, says that this Scripture passage is talking about Jesus. Sometimes we'll have an opportunity to share good news with other people about Jesus and and they're just really eager to believe everything that we're saying. And in those circumstances, we would be wise to follow the pattern we see here. It's uh, in the book of Acts. It's part of the life of our people for 2,000 years. Use Scripture to answer the questions of someone who is eager to know. Use the Scripture to point them to Jesus. Focus on Jesus. It's interesting that uh, the... As you read Acts chapter 8, this man going back to Ethiopia sees some water by the side of the road. And he says, hey, is there any reason we can't stop right here and I can be baptized? Now, Philip could have taken that opportunity to have a long, deep conversation about what baptism means and what's the difference between circumcision in the Old Testament, baptism in the New Testament. And uh, wait a minute, there's this whole thing called the Lord's Supper. Do you know anything about that? And oh, by the way, there are some Gentile Christians and Jewish Christians, and we don't all live by the same customs, and can we explain all that? Don't get caught up with the rabbit trails. When someone is eager to know about Jesus, use the scriptures to tell them about Jesus and focus on Jesus. You don't have to answer every question about Christian history and Christian theology and all the details. Focus on Jesus with someone who is eager to know Jesus. Jesus rescues all kinds of people. He rescues people who are in despair. He rescues people who are eager but don't yet know him. Let's look at a third category, a third example. Jesus rescues apathetic people. The word pathos in Greek means um, emotion. And so an apathetic person is a person whose heart is unmoved. Let's read one verse about that from the book of acts it's there's a verse in acts chapter 13 verse 27 that captures this an apathetic person is the person who already knows it all and just doesn't care anymore i know all this stuff i just don't see why it's such a big deal acts chapter 13 verse 27 says this about the leaders who were living in jerusalem in the first century they're described here by Paul as he's preaching in a synagogue and says, They did not recognize Jesus nor understand what the prophets said about him, even though the prophets are read every Sabbath. These are people who heard the Scriptures read every week but still said, I don't see what the big deal is about Jesus. I've grown up all my life hearing the Bible, but why is Jesus a big deal? I've gone to worship every week, but I still don't see what the big deal is about Jesus. Sometimes you and I are that way. So we can understand that there will be many people that we encounter, many neighbors we know who are very religious people. They may have grown up their whole lives going to synagogue going to church, attending mosque. These are people who know God is there. They know the scriptures. They treasure and value them, but they've just stopped caring because they've heard it all so much, and they're kind of sick of it. You ever been that way? Can you imagine how it would go wrong if you spoke to a person like that as though they were eager? Well, let me show you how the scriptures talk about Jesus. You don't get the point. I know that already. I'm sick of it. Don't show it to me anymore. Or if we treated an apathetic person like they were skeptical, the skeptical person needs 12 arguments as to why this makes sense. The apathetic person knows all 12 of those arguments and probably 10 more. Their problem isn't they lack information, the problem is. The heart gets numb. Have you ever experienced that? That kind of numbness? How do you speak to a person like that? Well, here are a couple of ideas. First of all, what we need to do in this situation is not provide a bunch of information, but to awaken the heart. If you read the Narnia Chronicles by C.S. Lewis, you understand that that's what Lewis was accomplishing through those books. He wrote them for children mainly, but they've had an incredible effect on a whole lot of people of all ages because they're written in a way that, that stirs the imagination. And they were written mainly for an audience of people who had heard stories about Jesus so much that they tuned them out. And he wrote stories about lions and magic wardrobes and about stone tables where Aslan the great lion sacrifices himself in order to redeem little boys who had traded their siblings for a dish of candy. This is C.S. Lewis trying to awaken the the imagination and say, if you've heard about Jesus so much that you're sick of him, I want to show you that you really do live in a world where all of these things are true and where you want all of these things to be real. Lewis's great goal was that people's desire for Jesus would be stirred up so much through these stories that they would go back to the scriptures and read them with a new light I remember an opportunity I had once to speak at a college graduation. It was a Christian college. And so um, I'd, I'd had a chance to teach one course at this college as well and saw the apathy on the faces of a lot of students in this Bible class. They were made to take. And it was such a joy to be able to stand up and say to them, You've been sitting here for four years hearing a version of Christianity where people say they believe all of this and they don't live any of it. And you hate that kind of religion. And I want to say to you, good, you should. You should absolutely hate that kind of hypocritical approach to Christianity. Jesus hates it too. See, in that circumstance, There's another strategy here for connecting with somebody who's apathetic, which is find out what they're passionate about and then show them that Jesus answers that passion. If they're passionate about beauty, Jesus loves beauty too. If they're passionate about creativity, Jesus created the whole world. If they're passionate about hating hypocrisy, Jesus was passionate about that too. You can reawaken somebody's heart by showing them that Jesus is passionate about whatever it is that they may be passionate about as well. That's not to say that Jesus is going to endorse all of our sinful desires, but behind nearly every desire is something ultimately good. And Jesus is the source of all Good. There's one final category we don't have to say much about today because we're going to come to it in a couple of weeks. It involves people who are skeptical. So this is the person who says, how could anybody with a brain take Christianity seriously? No thoughtful person could believe this. And Acts chapter 17, I've highlighted a couple of verses here on this slide, gives us a great example of the Apostle Paul in the city of Athens talking to philosophers Those philosophers are mocking what Paul has to say because they just can't see how a serious thinking person would would ever believe that Jesus was resurrected from the dead. And so their name for Paul is seed picker. At least that's what the Greek word means. Paul, you're not a serious intellectual. You're like a little bird who walks around picking up tiny little bits of truth, but your brain is so small you have no idea how truth really works works. How do you speak to somebody who's coming from that sort of circumstance? They've got a lot of education. They, they know how to ask all the hard questions. A couple of strategies there. One would be to encourage people's desire for co- coherence. Ah, it is good that you want things to make sense. It is good that you think any message about Jesus should be self-consistent, And it should fit the actual world that we live in. Those are good things. You and I agree about this. Oftentimes when we think about conversations with people who are skeptical, we think about it as us versus them. It's a debate. And I've got to win. And they've got to lose. Wrong. No. Jesus wants to rescue skeptical people. He is not the enemy. And nor are we. And so we can stand on common ground with people who are asking hard questions and we can say it is a good thing to want to believe things that make good sense. The desire for truthfulness and beliefs that fit the reality of this world, that is good and healthy. We agree on that. Let's keep talking. That might disarm someone actually long enough that you can continue the conversation. Trust Jesus to use you in that kind of conversation. You don't know every answer to every question. Neither does the person asking the hard questions. Jesus can use you even if you don't know all of those answers. Because at the end of the day, it's not about Jesus giving you a hammer so you can bam, 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 hit everybody like they're a nail and win. Jesus is the one who wants to rescue all kinds of people from all kinds of circumstances who are asking all kinds of questions. And we're part of a people that have been doing that for 2,000 years. In fact, this week, I found out that I'm part of a people that's been doing this for decades. I was having a video conference with uh, several pastors from across the nation. We're comparing notes about how do we How do we serve our communities, our churches, and Jesus well in these strange circumstances? And one of the men was named Rod Miles. And Rod said, I first began to believe in Jesus through in-town community church. I was 29 years old. I moved to Atlanta to be a banker at Wachovia. And Rod classified himself as somebody who was a little bit apathetic, growing up in a religious home, hearing all this forever and ever, and then as a 29-year-old had moved over into the skeptical camp. And there were people here in this church who loved him and who talked to him about Jesus. And Rod now pastors a church in California where there are hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people we're in those camps of skepticism and apathy. Rod says that, that his church is the first new church in his home city in almost 50 years. because people here loved him well in a way that Jesus used to rescue him. That's what we're a part of. That's the Savior who loves us and who enables us to love other people long enough to know what's happening in their heart, what's happening in their life, so that we can speak good news and speak the language that connects with who they are. That's how Jesus wants to reach the world through us. Let's give thanks to him together now. Lord Jesus, we give thanks to you that you rescue and you redeem 2,000 years ago in a Greek city named Philippi, there was a man trembling and thinking that his only way out was to take his own life. And you rescued him. And you spoke comfort to him. And you showed him that things were not as bad as he had assumed. And that you had done everything needed to free him so that he could be loved by God, his heavenly Father, and you are still rescuing people today all around the world. We give thanks to you for that. Would you rescue us and use us to help spread this good news of rescue to other people now and for decades to come, we pray in your name. Amen.